Hello. Welcome back to yet another episode of Floor 9. My name is Ryan Miller, and today we're going to be taking you through part two of our 2022 outlook, Embracing Entropy. Last time, we went through the first two trends, power to the people and life cycle loyalty. And today, we're going to be exploring multiplayer internet and the great escape. With me to do so is the author of the 2022 outlook, Adam Simon. Adam, hello. Hello. And joining us for part one, multiplayer internet, we've got Richard Yao here. Thanks for being here, Richard. My pleasure. The metaverse has been a concept that's been on the tip of everyone's tongue. I'm sure you know as our uh, content king in chief, but we wanted to explore a different approach to the digital realm. And we landed on this concept of the multiplayer internet. You care to explain to our listeners a little bit about how this is different than the metaverse and what tools and technologies are ultimately enabling these experiences? Metaverse is such a hot topic right now, but the matter of fact is, as we see at this year CES, no one can really even agree on what Metaverse even means this day. I mean, Ryan, you saw so many different concepts from Eureka Park. So many. We're a different set of idea of what Metaverse even is. Is it a virtual <laughs> space? Is it like 3D immersive, you know, VR experience? Is it sparse city? Everybody seems to have their own take on it. The matter of fact is, I think a lot of the buzz today is just centered around this whole Facebook rebranding as Meta, which mm. has their own motivation, right? It's about saving Oculus and justify a different path as their social media business gets bogged down by regulations, scrutiny, and everything that come with it. Well, the biggest you know social media company in the world really dive just like first into the metaverse, that's going to cause a splash, and that's what everybody is talking about metaverse right now. But what we are here to tell you is that the real metaverse, that kind of consistent, persistent virtual space that's going to power millions of users at the same time for a shared group experience, that is at least, let's say, a decade away. And what we should be focusing on right now is the ramp up to the metaverse future. And to, in order to do that, we're already sowing the little seeds that's going to lead us to the future. And that is what the multiplayer internet trend is all about. It's about realizing the internet is not a solitary um, space. It's a space shared by all different types of society, all works of life right now. And we're having this increased awareness of the digital space as a replica of our social content and other people's presence, either it's live or asynchronous or time shifted, it's unlocking new experience for brand to explore. I love it. What I'm curious to know about is from a multiplayer internet perspective, are we talking about video games or Google Docs or everything in between? everything in between, everything you can think of. You, you can start with the little green bubble on Facebook Messenger, you know, mm. indicating your life. I'm sure people have the experience of like, you know, stalking their crash, like where they are alive. Even the little like read, receipt, you know, the famous laugh on red. That's also a powerful indication of your online status in a different way. It's about, you know, indicating your presence in the digital space across different platforms. We see that in work today, whether you're busy, whether you're in a meeting, whether you're away from your desk, we can see that in like teams and different productivity tools, you know, 
Slack, Discord all have that kind of little indication of individual status. And then of course in the uh, online digital space, you know, you see other people watching the same live video as you, you see, hmm. you know, how many people are watching the same trick stream, you see their comments flying by on a popular stream. All those are powerful indications of, you know, really togetherness that we share online. I think you bring up a really interesting concept with presence. I think with this multiplayer internet concept, it enables us to be in multiple locations at the same time. Do you think that amidst all this entropy and disorder, that is a useful tool for consumers and users to have to be able to time shift their presence and delay and start and stop at their whim? Being able to really set your own schedule, the kind of flexibility that comes with remote work and all those like being in different platforms at the same time, the kind of inherent multitaskingness of being online, that is such a tool that we never really had before. So it opens up this door for more brand engagement throughout different parts of the day. And it is really interesting to see how this kind of increased awareness of other people's presence changes your own behavior Hmm. across different platforms. It's great that we can be in multiple places at the same time, but on the other hand, it's also just more power to the people, you know, like Katie was talking about in the last episode. In a way, being able to do things on your own schedule, the kind of flexibility that comes with the shift towards remote work, that really gave us more chance to be together in a way. Maybe it's not always live with, you know, in a linear TV kind of way, but you can be either live with your own friends or your chosen community, or you can be choosing to embrace this concept we're calling time shifted together. If you think about uh, Wordle, the breakout viral wordgasting game right now, it is such a good example because it allows you to do that little puzzle, you know, take five minutes out of your day whenever you get to it. Once you're done, you post it, and then your friends can see it, whether through messaging app or social media, whatever platform of your choice. And because everyone is doing the same word puzzle each day, there's still this sense of togetherness, but you will necessarily doing it at the same time, like the last viral game, HQ Trivia. I don't know if anybody remember that, but that was like, at a certain hour, you have to be on the app and do that. It does put a higher demand on people to be available at a certain time. Nowadays, by embracing that flexibility, you can still feel like you're part of this community, something bigger, without being having to be tied to a particular schedule. So that time shift together is, is a really interesting example. So Richard, you've been weaving in some examples of these multiplayer internet experiences like Wordle. And I think entertainment and gaming are the most obvious use cases for multiplayer internet. Um, Adam, can you tell us a little bit more about like an example that most people would be familiar with in this instance? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, the term multiplayer comes from gaming. And I think when we say metaverse, the common place that a lot of people's minds go to are uh, the concerts that, uh, that companies like Fortnite and games like Fortnite mm-hmm. were hosting and have been hosting. And I think the interesting point to take away from those events is the difference in how capacity and demand works with this virtual idea of presence. Um, if we think about presence in the real world, there's this idea where when something, a, lo- a restaurant, a, a bar, a club, a store even, 
that crowd of people starts to attract more people because it's that ridiculous thing of people, you know, getting online because they see other people waiting online and assume that something good must be happening. It um, has to be. It has to be. So in the early days, the presence of other people attracts more people, but then at some point it gets too crowded and you don't want to go there anymore. Mm. It's the old adage of it's so popular, nobody goes there anymore. Right? <laughs> in the real world, there is a limit to how many people you want at any, and obviously it varies based on the venue, but there is a limit. And at some point it starts to become a deterrent. In the virtual world, those limits don't really exist. Um, and that's how we end up with many millions of people at these Fortnite concerts and 10 times as many watching them on Twitch and YouTube because we can accommodate all of those people. Uh, and it's, it's, it's easy to get in, it's just a click away, it's free, it's, it's, you know, as long as you have Fortnite installed, you can access it. Um, or even if you don't, you can watch it on YouTube and Twitch. So, uh, you know, it, they're reaching so many more people, even if, you know, Travis Scott and Ariana Grande were giving away free tickets to an arena tour, they still wouldn't be able to reach as many people with a live performance as they can in these virtual performances. That difference in capacity and the demand that it can actually, uh, that, that virtual live events can actually accommodate is going to fundamentally change what is possible. Um, it's not just adding a feature on top of something else, it fundamentally starts to change the experience. That is so true, Adam. If you think about, like, if you work past a very crowded store, you might think twice about going in because that impacts the kind of quality of service you might get, you know, have to push through people and talk to the salesperson. But if we're talking about live commerce, the more people watch live, the more, you know, interaction you might get. The kind of popularity is also baked into the algorithm of discovery and recommendation, right? And there's no that kind of capacity cap in the digital realm. Actually, live commerce is a, is a very good example for this uh, multiplayer internet, because in, in that sense, the awareness of other people watching the same live stream is sort of confirmation of you are watching something worth paying attention to. And it also adds a level of social interaction back into the online shopping, make it more entertaining and help make better informed purchase decisions. We have seen live commerce really blow up in China over the past few years. Uh, the latest stats I can recall was that 40% of the digital shoppers in China has made a purchase from a live video in 2021. Live commerce solutions start to pop up on platforms like TikTok and Instagram, and even Shopify is building their own live commerce solution these days. So it's really tapping into the idea of online presence, unlocking new aspects of the e-commerce experience. Would you say that the shopability of all online experiences is table stakes for brands these days? Well, I don't think it's quite table stakes yet, but, but we're certainly getting there. Uh, if you look beyond live commerce, there's other ways that people can sort of interact with each other online regarding a brand, whether it's the kind of product review that people have or comments on social media pages, which most brands have on today. And even in the future, you can call brands in the metaverse, right? That's where everything leading up to. We see Nike already started their own Nike line in Decentraland mm. where consumers can interact with their digital version of Nike sneaker and other goods. So there's many different ways you can 
Leverage can the online presence into building more brand experience. It doesn't have to be through live video or live commerce, although that would be a pretty emerging and important part of the commerce strategy, I would say, for most brands. Nike's plot there down the street from Atari and around the corner from Snoop Dogg. One of the quotes that we had included in the outbook was from entrepreneur Shan Puri. And it actually suggests that the metaverse isn't a place, but rather, quote, the moment in time where our digital life is worth more to us than our physical life. It's a gradual change that's been happening for 20 years. Have we reached that apex yet? Or how far would you guys project that is? Well, my one of my favorite quote regarding innovation is always just the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. For a lot of people, especially the people who are deeply into crypto and web three, for the you know the chronically online people, their life is already mostly online. So their digital perception and their digital relationship means as much to them, if not more so, than their physical protection and real-life relationship. The line between offline and online is really blurry, and so will our presence transfer from this corporeal reality to the more digital realities. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us spent the past two years interacting with our coworkers, with our families, with some friends, mostly online. And I think that that's shifted a lot of people closer to this than they were before. How much of that maintains uh, as it uh, as things start to become more open again. But going back to our introduction to the Outlook, uh, there are other things waiting in the wings that might force a lot more interaction online that we had previously been offline. Richard, any insights for brand listening as to how they can approach developing these co-playing experiences online? Well, people always say life is worth living if you have someone to share it with, right? So the idea of bringing people together to share in your brand experience is something a lot of the companies should be looking to. And there are tools that, you know, allow brands to easily tap into that uh, digital togetherness. We look at the new share play toolkit that Apple has put in, which allow you to share your screen easily through FaceTime or, you know, watch movies together. Co-viewing is a big trend in, in this space as well. Zillow actually recently incorporated share play into their app. So now when you're browsing, you know, different real estate listing, you can either call your real estate agent or call your bestie to help you, you know, do a little window shopping of real estate. To wrap things up, I think it is time for brands to really embrace the live presence and time shift togetherness to figure out a way to incorporate uh, how to bring people together into their brand experience that works best for their category and their consumer needs. And this is how you start your journey to the metaverse. Always on availability from a brand perspective is something that the consumer really relishes and desire. And not only do they have the opportunity to engage with them whenever they want, their friends can come along for the ride too now. But to shift away from multiplayer internet and dive into or maybe escape into our last trend, the great escape, um, want to first get a better understanding of what that means in context of the outlook. I think after the last two years with these hyper objects weighing heavily on our minds and metaphorically on our shoulders, we're looking for ways to seek a little bit reprieve from our day to day. So Adam, is this about 
physically getting away or is it about a state of mind? <laughs> uh, it can be about physically getting away. Um, really what uh, this trend is about is that there are, as we've been discussing, there's a lot of uh, entropy and chaos in the world. And um, the sort of a unifying thing that is happening across cultures and across communities is this uh, desire to escape all of these giant problems. The fun thing is that even when it comes to how do we how do we escape? How do we get away? How do we relax? In some cases, what we're talking about is like the drive to have less screen time, to log off and get outside and, you know, sort of reconvene with nature. That's what we see in a lot of like the tech and media sphere. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, it's also the same desire that is really driving other people into building the metaverse and working on Web3 apps and like it, these new technologies that are our escapes from some of the the things that are plaguing our our large social platforms and the uh you know the the issues that are, are with all of our existing technology platforms yeah i think that's a really interesting point that there's this you know push and pull between people wanting to escape to real life destinations and then others exploring more digital destinations and you know some are not even terrestrially bound i think uh, one of my favorite terms from the outlook are these billionaires with planet-sized bank accounts looking to space as another source of exploration. Do you think uh, Bezos and co have a large influence over that domain? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the billionaire space race is about those guys looking to escape the problems uh, and very real issues of the companies that they have already started <laughs> and, and, and the sort of you know, boring, uh, annoying things that they have to deal with running giant uh, companies. Um, it's a way for them to sort of polish up their social image and their brand, their personal brand, because it's very utopian vision of like colonizing Mars or Elon Musk, or just even just exploring space in general. It's like, you know, the the kind of thing that, that gets people excited and you might have some uh, reservations around the privatization of space, but nobody is like that mad about space. It's generally, it, it, there's very little pushback about that. And it's the same thing, as I said, that's really underpinning a lot of the, the, the Web3 things. And Mark Zuckerberg's not going to space, but his, his metaverse push is very much motivated by the same thing of, of just like, uh, social networks, they're really complicated and we don't know how to moderate them. And it's kind of toxic over here in Facebook land. So what if we refocus everything on the metaverse, which is still so new that it doesn't have many of those problems? Really interesting slate of hand by billionaires to distract everyone and push their <laughs> eyes elsewhere. Um, but but outside of you know traveling to space or diving into the digital realm, what about for people like us that maybe have a little less uh, planetary sized wallets on hand? I know the vice economy has kind of risen to prevalence in the last few years, and destigmatizing marijuana was kind of the first step in that. But what other ways is that popping up in our society? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the increased focus on self-care and wellness and, and especially mental health is definitely part of this. As you said, we, we talked about this uh, right before the holidays, but the vice economy has been expanding rapidly with social and eventually political acceptance of things like marijuana and psychedelics. Uh, gambling, you know, sports betting was just legalized in New York. You can't open mm. Twitter without seeing tons of sports betting ads. The slow march of progress towards decriminalizing sex work. There's a lot of things that are a lot of the the vices that we have traditionally called 
thought of as vices are starting to become at least socially acceptable, if not yet politically acceptable. Um, and I think it's motivated by the same thing. It's, it's, it's everybody is so stressed out and so concerned about the future. It's like, uh, let people have things and, and let people have fun if, as long as it's not harming anybody else. As we've returned to these, you know, solutions that are salt of the earth, um, I think rewilding and the emergence of neo-Luddites is definitely something that we can pop into this great escape category. Do you think that this is just a fleeting Gen Z trend based on a couple of uh, aspirational influencers on TikTok? Or do you think that this is actually going to be a long-term trend and a push away from technology? Oh, no. I mean, I, that's interesting that you think it's a you see it as a Gen Z trend. I actually see it mostly with like um, middle-aged parents in Silicon hmm. Valley and Wall Street. Some of the people who have created the uh, the social platforms and the sort of more toxic things that we we can find on our phones and our, on our devices, they're actually some of the people who use them and, and restrict them the most from their children, hmm. um, which I think is interesting and telling. We're talking about the multiplayer internet, which is going to be <laughs> about more time spent online. And the metaverse is about that flip where your online life is more important to you than your your offline life. And I think that that generationally over the vast amount of over a vast span of time, it moves in the direction of more digital and not less digital. I think it's more just a temporary blip and and some some people who are maybe not as uh, well provisioned as Mark Zuckerberg and <laughs> Jeff Bezos who are who are trying to do their own version of escaping the reality that they have impartially helped create. The point you make about more middle-aged folks and the tech lash that you're experiencing pushing people towards this kind of behavior, I think where I was coming from is the non-conformity of Gen Z and wanting to approach things from a much different angle than the generations that preceded them. So I think maybe at both ends of the spectrum, we're seeing evidence of that a little bit. But yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, look, we know that Gen Z, despite the fact that they um, have are obviously every generation becomes more and more digitally native and they've grown up with smartphones, they actually have, from every study that I've seen, have a healthier relationship to their phones uh, mm. than millennials do um, because it was always an assumption. It's, it's interesting that if it actually is part of your life from a very young age, you learn how to incorporate it into your mental model of the world a little bit better. Yeah, as a millennial, I, I feel personally <laughs> lost without my phone within striking distance at all times. You know, what if I get that all important ping from somebody that I'm talking to and I don't respond in a millisecond or <laughs> exactly. leave somebody on red like Richard was talking about? So, um, but we talked about all these ways that consumers are, you know, escaping their current realities, whether it be physical destinations or states of mind. What are brands doing to help consumers in this capacity? And what kind of values are consumers looking for for brands to reflect in their principles? It really means for brands embracing two contradictory messages, because on one hand, consumers do want brands to engage with these big problems. They want mm. them to represent their values, as Katie was talking about um, in the last episode. Uh, but on the other hand, they also want an escape. They Everybody wants a break. We can't be saving the world all of the time. Um, and so there's, I think about it in three sort of categories. <clears throat> One, if your brand is sort of endemically centered on escapism or distraction, um, good news, there's going to be a lot more demand for your product. Uh, and I think it's really about just 
figuring out how you can reach people at the right time without sounding tone deaf. You know, you don't want to be marketing your uh, escapist content to somebody when they're in the middle of uh, a climate crisis in their local area, you know? Um, And a good example of this is, uh, or one of my favorite things, uh, which is, is old, but I think it's, it's a good one is the Hallmark channel when pretty soon after the pandemic started and we had been in quarantine and lockdown for a little while in like April or May of 2020, they did a Christmas movie marathon, um, which was just, they titled it, we need a little Christmas, which is very cute. And it blew the top off their ratings because people were so (laughs) desperate for like just comfort food content at that point um, that it was like, you know, amazing ratings across the board for like Christmas content in April or May. Um, So, you know, I think that's a good example of that. On the other side, if you're a brand that is already kind of meaningfully engaging with the issues of the day, also congratulations, you're ahead of the curve there. Um, You probably have a lot of loyal customers who really appreciate that. But again, we need to kind of acknowledge not everybody's not going to be in the mode to like want to save the world all the time. You need to help give them permission to engage in lighter ways. And one great way to do that is by funneling some of the money that they're using to buy your products and services into those Mm. causes so that they don't feel like they have to, they feel like they're doing something, um, but they don't have to necessarily do any more. And I think, you know, they come up a lot in terms of, of values driven brands, but Patagonia does a pretty good job of this. Uh, They make it very clear that um, they provide a lot of ways for you to get involved. They're very involved as a company in terms of of, um, environmental activism, but it's also, they make it very clear. It's also just okay to like, you know, buy a jacket or some hiking boots and like go outside for a hike because at the end of the day, that is kind of the point is to make sure that you can still do that in 20 years. Um, So I think that's, you know, a good example of that kind of permission. And then lastly, there's sort of like, maybe you're not totally on one side or the other. Sometimes you're escapist, but maybe too much. Like maybe you know people overindulge in whatever way, shape or form. It's time to start to self-regulate that. So I look at this as things like uh, Snapchat and Netflix partnering with Headspace to offer meditation mm. and mindfulness inside their apps um, and things like screen time settings on, on your devices. Like it's actually better to encourage consumers to moderate their use of your product sometimes because it's going to make sure that they don't overdo it and burn out and uh, need to get rid of you entirely. So, you know, there's um, really avoiding that short-term burnout in search of, as Chelsea was talking about in the last episode, that lifetime loyalty. You'd much rather have them use your product or service for a short amount of time, very frequently uh, for the rest of their lives than to burn out on it in the space of a few months. Yeah. And distance makes the heart grow fond. So no better way to get people uh, yearning for your service than to get them off it for a little bit longer. Um, Yeah. Don't be too thirsty. (laughs) Yeah. I think those are really great examples, Adam. And I I think it's imperative that brands need to know who they are and what they stand for in order to have a great strategy to make the escape. It's all about being nimble and adaptive and learning how to be native to now in order to navigate that entropy. That'll bring our Outlook 2022 Embracing Entropy Part 2, Floor 9, Episode to a close. Adam and Richard, thank you both for being here this afternoon. Thank you for uh, having us. Always a pleasure. Make sure to read the original Outlook our medium site. Go to ipclife.com and follow the link there. It's right on our homepage. You can't miss it. 
And make sure you check out the rest of our content on our Medium page as well. Until next time, take care. Thank you.